I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Mentor. I'm Mike Boris. My guests today were still studying at uni when they came up with the idea for their business which has now become Australia's fastest-growing quick-service restaurant. Nathan Duller and Nick Pestalozzi are two of the three founders of Fishbowl. The other partner, his name is Casper. Now, Fishbowl is a Japanese-inspired salad bar, which is on a mission to change the culture of fast food with their healthy and quick salad bowls. They launched their first store in 2016 in the middle of winter in Bondi, and by the spring, they were selling over 500 bowls a day. Now, Fishbowl has expanded to 28 locations and has over 300 employees. They're now expanding the hospitality venture with a new venue called Fish Shop, a fine dining experience with a chef-driven menu of sustainable seafood. The new concept will allow consumers to sit in, take away or pre-order seafood to cook themselves at home. I'm going to give it a crack. I want to ask Nick and Nathan how they scaled, pardon the pun, the fishbowl empire so rapidly and why good company culture is so important to the success of their business. So this is a big, deep discussion about culture, about energy, passion and belief in what they they produce. That's really important. So let's get into it. Nathan and Nick, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us on. How old are you guys? 28. You're 28. And what about you, Nathan? 28 as well. Both 28. So, yeah. I mean, how come you, the double duo, like where you guys come from? Like, would you meet at uni? Uh, no, we, we, met at, we met at school. We were friends in high school. Um, just went to Scott's up the road. Um, and then Scott's boys. Yeah, yeah, Scott's boys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you're local blokes from yeah. the suburbs, yeah? Yeah. No, yeah. we grew up around here. Um, and then we went to uni together. Yeah. Uh, studied together. So you, went, you actually were in the same year at school? Yeah, Correct. same year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, same year. I just wanted to just like uh, get in the wheeze a little bit about the two of you. Like uh, what do your folks do? What, what, like what's the deal with your parents? Like you're close to your parents, got brothers, sisters. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Uh, my, my old man was a rag trader. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just grew up, I mean, like you know, selling reels of fabric and that sort of thing in Alexandria. Tough business today, but yeah. oh yeah, you know when it all it all moved overseas. But um, yeah, that was what he where he sort of cut his teeth. Um, he was a um, came over from from Israel in the sixties. Yeah, so he's Iraqi born, but then fled to Israel and then came after the after his stint in the army, uh, came to Sydney, um, ran the, the Campbelltown bus route as a bus driver, and then uh, had a relative that was working in the rag trade and that was his like I guess like foot in the door and then he made a career out of it okay cool so and you were close to him yeah, yeah and did close. he drag into the shop sometimes or not the shop uh, the well, I mean, my earliest memories are just him like out of the dye house just like going through samples of fabric just because 
I mean, I don't know why I did. Actually, my twin brother was into fashion and he loved, I think, I guess from an early age, he had an affinity for fabric. So he would just always collect samples. And, and roll around the fabric? I mean, <laughs> yeah, dress up, you know. Hey. Yeah. But no, he loved it. And I guess I just used to hang out there and, I mean, to be honest, just like drink coffee when I wasn't allowed to be drinking coffee. So, hey, well, what did you learn from, what's your dad's name? Michael. But what did you learn from Michael? What, what, what do you reckon you got at, that you brought forward into your life, into your business life? Um, I mean, resilience. For one. What does that mean? What do you mean by resilience? Uh, just you know, no matter what kind of gets thrown at you, no matter what kind of situation you find yourself in, like, you know, you've got you to lean on, you've got yourself to rely on, and uh, you've just got to, got to figure it out. Um, you know, things don't always go the way that you plan them. Um, they never go the way. Well, they never go the way you plan them, but, you know, that's the plan. Like, and you've just got to expect that and accept that. Um, be willing to change. Uh, be willing to just be really mobile, um, open to new things. and. He also had carried like a super strong, like entrepreneurial spirit. Like I always thought, I always saw my dad as someone who uh, led the kind of life that he just wanted to lead. You know, he did things the way he believed that should be done. And, um, you know, he was really decisive. I think people kind of are receptive to that. Um, so I just, I don't know, I guess like you know, indirectly, um, you know, dad's a bit of a mentor, still is. But yeah, there's a lot of just. It will be forever. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Nick, what about you, mate? Uh, yes, yeah, so- um Funnily enough, my um, my dad used to work for, for Nestle, so my dad's Swiss. Um, so he was always kind yeah, of – He looks Swiss. you got that yeah. Swiss blonde-looking dude. Um, yeah, I actually – I lived in Korea for, for five years when I was younger. Well, that would be um, Yeah, I went to a French kind of preschool there. Mum was working for – in like uh, cosmetics for Christian Dior. Dad was at Nestle. Moved back here. Dad kept working for Nestle. Um, and then they went into like importation. So they were like importing uh, kind of like European – like goods, like um, like Lockheed Provence, like candles, throw rugs, that kind of thing, like nice homewares and stuff. Um, and then from that, they went into like health food. Um, so they, they now they actually own uh, the health food store in Avalon and Monovel. Um, so they've kind of always been like doing their own thing. What do you mean like um, uh, health food? Like you mean like a uh, whole foods? Like yeah, like whole foods. Whole foods, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they've kind of got their own like sm- small business now, and they've been you know in that for the last kind of ten years. Um, yeah. Well, can I can I ask you like you know a lot of people listen to this they're not they they didn't go to Scotts they didn't go to Cranbrook you know um, they might be out there not I mean what do you say to them they were saying oh here's a couple of white boys male white so called privileged when actual fact you're not privileged I mean your your parents probably battled but no it says a perception a couple of white males they're kicking ass I mean. What would you say to someone like that? Like, because there's a perception around like that sort of thing, you know. Because in startup world, there is a perception of it in relation to that. I mean, I'm a, I'm lucky. I can say oh, I grew up in Punchbowl. Yeah, shit. look, so I, I like think you know, what, what do you guys say? Because I mean, I know it's not the case, by the way. But yeah, no, of course. But look, what, what I, do I you think, say? Well, I would just go back to like our like our business genesis, like how it was formed and the way it was. Formed. Well, take me down, but yeah, take sure, me down. I, I will take you there. So, like, you know, it was. I mean, I grew up. I mean, we were studying at the time. Like, yeah, I well, love. Okay, what were we studying? Uh, I, mean, I bounced around a few courses, law, journalism, commerce, and I didn't end up you finishing them, to be honest. Yeah, I couldn't settle. So oh, you we were actually both at UTS yeah. doing business. Yep. And then to be honest, I, I ended up, it was like it, it sort of, the end of my like commerce degree coincided with the start of Fishbowl. But like just to back to your, your question, it was more how we started Fishbowl was like I was just looking for something, like a reason to get out of university, an excuse to leave. Like I just didn't like it. I wasn't a very patient person. And frankly, I figured what I was learning there, I was – my style of learning was just better off being cut out in the real world. Um, Did you have a conscious thought of that? 
Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, I was at, when I was at uni, I was on like Gumtree, like small businesses. Like, what can I buy, flip, improve? What, what, what's out there that I just was always looking at that kind of thing. Um, but anyways, look, so when, when Fishbowl came about, like I said, I, always, I grew up loving food and loving Japanese food and health. Yep. Um, and I just knew while I was at uni, I was like, okay, I want to go out and do my own thing. But the reality is like, what, I, I can't go open up a hundred seater restaurant. The, the, uh, I don't have the experience, don't have the capital. Um, don't, I just don't have, I don't really don't have any, any reason or excuse to go and open a 200 seater restaurant. Like it just wouldn't work. So we figured let's start really small. Let's start and let's try and envisage something that I can, um, put in the ground. Um, and you know, like I said, it started with, um, a really small space in Bondi. So it was only 30 square meters, which is barely bigger than the room we're in at the moment. Um, and by starting small, we were able to limit our capital costs. Um, I, I knew it was something that I could physically man, like whether it was me, myself, uh, me, Nick and Casper, who's our third partner. Um, I knew that it didn't, you know, like I said, didn't need 20 people on the floor, didn't need, um, a, f- a fully fit out kitchen because the nature of the product that we were serving was largely raw. And once again, like the, the actual, the product itself was something that didn't require uh, necessarily the experience of a chef. Okay, can, can I just stop you there? So what you were solving there were a couple of capital issues. First one is the capital issue of intellect uh, or, or, or end of experience. In other words, you don't need a chef because it's raw food. The second one was fit out costs, which is another capital issue because that requires money, time as well, but it requires money because that's capital. Um, and then the third one is you could do it yourselves. So you didn't need human capital, so you didn't need to pay wages to a whole lot of people. You probably still got to yeah, pay rent. Yeah, we, we were passionate. We were willing to learn hard and fast, and we were willing to be there 24-7. Like we knew that if it was us three in there um, putting together, you know, food that looked simple but was deceivingly complex, um, but we knew that if we could do it with love and, um, you, know, holding like, you know, holding ourselves to the highest standards with respect to like, quality and and sourcing um which were things that we had a really good idea of uh you know we just knew that we could make this work off of our own back now again i think for those people listening to this i mean i think that's it's a really important point we just pause here for a second the only thing that nathan and nick had was a passion for the thing they wanted the product they wanted to produce they actually concentrated on solving the issue about things they didn't have that is capital and capital comes in lots of forms it's people money and intellect um, and what I mean by intellect is usually like experience, skills and stuff like that. So, so the way they solved it was to, in terms of human capital, is they, they put themselves out there, we're, we're the human capital, we'll do all the work physically. Um, in terms of the uh, financial capital, we're going to rent 30 square metres, which is, you know, should be cheaper than a 500-seater restaurant, 100-seater restaurant, and, um, and also, you know, your equipment, et cetera. So you, your, your product didn't require to be cooked, so to speak. And then the, uh, the and then finally, in terms of um, intellectual property, um, they solved that because their product didn't need a chef as such. I mean, it just needed their ideas and your own execution. So that's quite clever. Because so, did you actually positively and openly think about how do we save on these capital items? Because that's our constraint. Did you know you were actually saving on all these capital uh, constraints? Indirectly, like we wanted, to, we were like, let's start with a really beautiful product. Uh, and let's keep it simple. But why, why did you? Okay, tell me why did you choose that product? I mean, what, what's the? It was really hard to find, um, you know, healthy food that actually tastes. No, but why Japanese? Why um, Japanese? Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, the flavors. Everyone knew the flavors. Everyone was familiar with the flavors. You guys or your well, customers? No, just people, the world, society. Yeah. Like you, you know, you go to any high street in any city around the world, you're going to find multiple 
Japanese restaurants, sushi restaurants, sushi bars, sushi chains, whatever you, whatever you want to talk about. Um, we knew people loved the flavors. Uh, we knew people were familiar with them. We knew they were classic. They were tried and tested. Um, and we ate it a lot. But it was but really you, expensive. But, like, but did you guys do it because you knew that there was an um, aggregate demand for it or market for it? Or did well, you do it because you loved it? Yeah, or, what or we, so we, having said all that, what we knew there was a demand for and a, and a, and a real need for was a, a healthy product that combined those elements that people knew and loved from Japanese food um, and put it in a salad, basically. And that's all we did. But is it is it like um what's that thing called uh, that that, we, that that they get now like a poke bowl? Is it they'll be talking? Oh, look, once again, like that's, that, that, we, that, mean, that has its roots in like Hawaiian cuisine. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. be frank, so but it's and, like, is it? Well, we're talking that type of thing. I mean, just so I can get yeah from the from the at. yeah from the from the purpose of like in terms of raw fish um that's diced and tossed with a salad. I mean, like, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, like I guess from from where we've come from, like the the product and the business has evolved so much so that we actually sell more. Um, you know, we sell more like vegetarian items and free range chicken and uh, beef than we do actually raw fish now. Right. So, um, and they were products that we didn't have when we first started the business. Um, that was just a yeah, matter we've, of. We've, we've grown into like a full, like we're, we're a full fledged salad bar now. Yeah, no, I've and, seen the one down there, the new one you're about to open up in um, um, David Burge's. Sons, I can't think. Of his oh yeah, son. oh that's that's yeah. different. Yeah, Bob Burgess. It's called Fish Shop. Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that, that, yeah, yeah. that's a new concept. Yeah, but I've, I saw your menu, so you, you, you're going into other things. I only reason I saw it because I sometimes I go across the road okay, to, yeah. to yeah. Uh, that what's it called Dairy or something. No, oh uh, yeah, the cafe. Dairy. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes on a couple of my mates like going there, yeah. and I just saw when we went and wandered over on Sunday and had a look. Actually, what's this new oh, shop? Cool. And I was just actually curious as because it's a nice development that actually. Um, yeah, you've done a really nice job. Because there. the business I'm involved in, hustle, we were going to go in there. We're going to go oh, in okay. there. The, oh, yeah, I heard. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go in there, but it was too expensive and various other things. It was just going to cost too much to fit out yeah. some, so we didn't do it. But but I was very curious to see, and that's your business. One, That's your new business, the shop, uh, the fish shop. Fish shop, yeah, yeah. which is like our interpretation, our take on a modern-day fish shop. But it's not just fish. You had other things on the menu no, as well. Well, yeah, it's fish. It's a, Basically, it's a menu focused around seafood, vegetables, salads, yeah. um, that sort of thing. So it's very much centered around seafood and sustainable seafood. Um like I said, there's a huge focus on fresh salads, vegetables, um, which are just lessons that we've learned from Fishbowl. Mm. We realize like that's what people want. People want healthy, clean, um, approachable food. Affordable. Affordable and approachable, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Portable and um, accessible. Exactly. And we, you know, we've got really um strong relationships with our suppliers. Like we know what we're able to charge people. And we know that we're able, you know, we've got, you know, we're able to source really beautiful products um and actually make it affordable for the customer. Um you know, without compromising on quality, flavor, or anything like that. So um, Fish Shop, which is opening in Bondi uh, actually this weekend, is, a like I said, it's our interpretation of what a fish shop should be, which is just a place where you can access really beautiful, fresh seafood. It can be cooked for you, um, and you can pair it with uh, salads, vegetables, and also a really sort of neat uh, wine list as well. Okay, I don't want to confuse the audience because that was my fault. <laughs> I jumped all over Fish Shop. Um and I, because I want to talk about that because, well, and we'll talk about it in the second half, but um, I want to talk about fish shop because as soon as I saw the sign, and I'm, I'm interested to hear about you and your concept, I thought to myself, it's hard to make money out of a fish shop, traditional fish shop, because, um, you know, I've been under in these suburbs for a long, long time now. Um, and uh, there's not many of them do well um, yep. because, you know, you've got to source your product and if people don't buy the product, the product's no good if it goes, if, it, if it's not available, if it's sort of not fresh. Yeah. And there's a lot of old school Greeks up there, like who I know, who still 
trying to kill it in um, Old South Ed Road up there in Vaucluse, uh, the top there near Dime Bay. They've been there for a million years, but yeah. it's a tough business. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I, I do want to talk about that in the second half because your concept, because to make this work, your concept has to be different. Correct. Look, it's a zero waste concept. It's much more um, centered around actually um, customers coming in and having us cook for you. Yeah. Because um, like you sort of mentioned, it's the issue with fish shops in the past historically has been margins on wet fish and wastage. Yep. And they're two problems that we do not have. Oh, that's what I know how you solve. Yeah. So I do want to talk about that conceptually, but we'll park yeah. that because we're talking about the second half. But in terms of fish bowl, yeah. um, how many do you have? You've got uh, 28 at the moment. 28 fish bowl Correct. Yeah, stores. 28 fish bowl stores, um, including a few, go- three of them are ghost kitchens. So they're oh. just, they solely operate out of the ghost kitchens are kind of like, um, there's no storefront. Yeah. So they're basically delivery. small commercial delivery, kitchens yeah. that just run delivery only um, in high density suburban areas. Yeah. So, f- so your, your business model for fishbowl is small premises, um, not too many people working there. Um, it, it's um, small it, footprint. Coming it's commissary away. based. Um, yeah. Dining. That so that means we've got a central kitchen um, in Sydney, one in Melbourne. Yep. It produces all of the goods from scratch, like all the dressings, all the proteins, um, all the vegetables, literally everything, all the base ingredients from scratch there. And then we have a, fleet of refrigerated vans and trucks that delivers them to all the stores every single morning. So they're distribution points. Correct, yeah. So, so it's already made, so to speak. You, uh, so the, the, the raw the raw the, materials, the, for the raw materials a, yeah. are made yeah. and they're assembled on site. Yep, yep. I get um, that. Correct. Okay, so so where are the 28 fishbowl sites in Australia? So we've got, uh, I mean, look, we're, we're all through the CBD in yep. Sydney. We, we kind of started, so we started in um, in Bondi and then the idea was to get a bit of a grasp on Sydney, like sort of mark our territory, so to speak. So we, we jumped from Bondi to, to Darlinghurst and then across to Manly. Um, so we felt like we had a good kind of hold of the suburban areas in, in Sydney. And the idea around that was to, to build a brand from the outside and work our way, work our way in. Because we always thought, um, you know, you see fast casual operators or businesses that start in the city, but they really don't have any brand. Um, no one knows who they are kind of thing. They're just that place in a food court. And we figured if we could operate, you know, outside in the suburbs, um, by the time we get into the CBD where we now have sort of, you know, seven locations, um, people would know who we are and, and would stand out from the rest and of the Do you own course. them or are they franchise? We, we, we own them all. So you're, we're, you... We're in, we're in Melbourne as well. So, right. so Melbourne's kind of like our new um, area that we're targeting. So we've got two ghost kitchens there which have been operating for about a year and they were like a good segue into the market. Um, but we've just opened Flinders Lane. Uh, Richmond, we've got a store, and we've got one in the city. Yeah, good territory, Richmond especially. So it's, a, it's like a Darlinghurst. Yeah. So, so you've got 28, 28 fish bowl stores, one fish shop about, mm-hmm. to, about to launch this week, yeah. uh, this weekend. Um, how many staff you got? We've got about 300. 300 staff. Yeah. So how long has this taken? Four, four, four and a half years. Four, so from a standing start, four and a half years. Yeah, so we, start, we, start, we started winter, like middle of winter in Bondi, July 2016. So, so what was it that, like, I see from the brief that, you know, you don't have any third-party funding, you know, you fund yourself self-funded, so to speak. Yeah. Um, what was it that kicked you along? I mean, like, if people are listening to this, they're going to say, well, what was the the real big kicker? Where, where do they? How? It's I can explain how we grew. Um, we opened the first store. Like I said, it was us three, uh, barely paying each other a salary. Um, you know, we stuck it out through winter. Uh, we really earned the trust of locals. We um, started to develop a good, really good brand reputation and people started to hear about us um, around town. And then that was a really good, uh, we were able to sort of um, develop some really strong momentum going into spring. 
and then all of a sudden you know we were we had a store in spring that did have a line out the door every single day um still us three in the store uh we were just you know we were making up to 500 bowls within a few months of opening that first store like on a daily basis which um was really exciting and was you know more than we really ever imagined for that store um and then naturally what happens is like you know all these real estate agents start hassling us and calling us and oh, do you want to open here here and we're like whoa, whoa, whoa. we're just happy with the wine um was that? But, were you happy with one? Like, I mean, well, we did, did, I mean, when you started, did you think you were going to start? We're going to have a chain of these, or did you think it was just this? No, we up? we knew that within like two months, you know, within a short period of time. Start, no, we, we just wanted to get one. one. We wanted to get one. Get the right. first one right. That's, just, that's we didn't think down like. But you had ambition. Yeah, yeah, we had one. We yeah. had ambition of doing more stuff. Yeah, we just like to stay busy. We like to and make a good. But, you, exactly, but you, yeah. you can never get it too ahead of yourself. So you you've got the ambition, but you got to get number one right and just worry about number one. And then, you know, if that all goes to plan, and then you can start thinking when about it. When did you start paying yourself the wage? Uh, probably by the time we considered opening a second store. So maybe like by summer that year, you know, yeah. a couple, like six months into it, I guess. And we, we, was the wage you could live off? Yeah, we were just paying ourselves hourly. Yeah. Like it was just like if we were, if we, whether we were hiring people or ourselves, it was, that was yeah, the yeah. wage. It wasn't yeah, like yeah. we were on a salary. Yeah, we were just like getting 30 paid. Bucks, 40 bucks. Whatever the award rate was, yeah. yeah. yeah but yeah. anyways, that first store, um, you know, was able to be able to um, build up enough money in the kitty to fund our second store, which was on Crown Street in Darlinghurst. And, you know, we opened that store and, and to be honest, we opened that store and it was, we were riding high from, it was middle of summer in Bondi, uh, January. And we were like pumped. We were like, oh, we're opening our second store. Here we go. We think like, this is just, you know, if this does half of what Bondi is doing, we're going to be just killing it and stoked. We opened that store in middle of January to crickets. Like it was really quiet. Um, and we, we learned a, Pretty big lesson. I mean, like our brand, I guess, just hadn't traveled. Like we were, it was Bondi, it was by the beach. The locals around there knew us. Um, but hey, like Crown Street is not Bondi Beach. No. And uh, we learned that pretty quickly. Um, but look, no, look, so that store opened and like I said, it was crickets. We, were like, we need to look for some ways to really activate the space. So um, look, we didn't stay quiet. We got our friends around it. Um, you know, we just got 10 friends to tell 10 friends and then to tell 10 more. And, you know, it slowly developed. A, uh, it was slowly starting to pick up. Um, at that time as well, uh, you know, what this new thing was coming into the market known as Uber Eats. Um, and we were like, oh, you know, maybe this is a good chance to to start working with these guys um, and let's try and let's see if we can make their business work with our business. So that was the first store that ever trialed delivery. Um, and that was really a really big thing for that store, just given its location. I'm on the city fringe, super high density area. And that became a really big part of that Darlinghurst business. Um, and that, like I said, that just coincided with more people, with people a, returning to work because obviously opening in January in Darlinghurst, you didn't have any of the businesses that were around there. Um, so we had food delivery starting to pick up, people returning to work. Um, you know, we did a lot more community engagement um, activities, a lot more marketing in the area. Uh, like I said, we just, we just tried to make as much noise as we could basically to let people know who we were, what we were doing, um, what our product was about. And um, like I said, just trying to develop that, community um bond that i think is really important to like each of our locations it's something that we we don't open a new site without considering okay like you know who's around who can we work with who can we collaborate with and um who's our who are we trying to speak to when it comes to our product um so yeah like that bondi uh funded darlinghurst darlinghurst got a bit of got on a bit of a role um the first two stores funded the third store which was manly um you know and then those three stores funded the next one and so on and so forth and that's kind of that's how we've um, managed to grow. It has been 
all through cash flow, um, no external finance. So we, we, we only really grow as fast as like the business allows us to grow. Yeah. Which also means, you know, we can't just go and open, you know, 20 stores in a year. Um, so we kind of, you know, we've got a good grasp on what we're doing. We're in control um, because we haven't just been throwing like a bucket of money to, to open a stupid amount of stores, which probably won't end too well. It's a positive constraint of running yeah, a business. Yeah, yeah. It's like we go as fast as our customers tell us to, which is yeah. if our stores are performing um, and we can manage putting a, you know, manage a store in the ground every month off of our own back, um, then that seems to be a really healthy rate of growth. I mean, you come in really quiet now, you two guys, like, uh, it's like a, they're like a steam train. Um, the, the ideas are just coming at me like a million miles an hour. I'm thinking I'm, I'm trying to keep up with your, your, my thought process of trying to keep up with what you guys are doing. And I guess that comes with youth too. I mean, you, you guys are young and energetic and you know your shit and you're on, you're on a good thing here and you're about to open another one. You open up a new concept too. But we got better go to the break because what I need to come back to, I want to come back to yeah. sourcing, product, marketing in particular, like you're talking about, you know, building a community. How do you go hard in, in terms of your community, um, you know, building your community, in other words, being accepted in your environment? What sort of social are you using? Um, uh, probably I, I do want to know, where are you going to take all this shit? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to keep it? What do you want to do? You're looking for partners. What's the deal? Like, I mean, what's your exit? I mean, maybe there is no exit. Mm. I want to get into that guts of that and find out how that all works. So let's go to the break. We'll come straight back. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, we're back from the break. I'm talking to the uh, Nathan and Nick here. We're talking about uh, their business called Fishbowl. There's a new they're launching a new business called Fish Shop, which is a slightly different concept. They've got 28 stores across Australia. You've got a stack of staff, and you know, it all sounds fantastic. And they're they're doing well. Um, they've um, funded this whole thing out of cash flow, which is like from, from my point of view is brilliant. So they had them had haven't had to dilute themselves. But I I want to dig in a little bit harder here. Um, in terms of probably two things, um, or three things. Staffing, because, you know, your concept's got to be consistently um, equivalent to the community that you are serving. So it's got to, you know, it's got to suit the community you're serving and it's got to stay consistent to that community. Bondi would be different to Darlinghurst, which is probably different to Manly, which could be different to somewhere in Melbourne, I don't know, could be different to CBD. I want to know how you do that, how you recruit and train and keep that consistency. The, the second thing I want to know is how do you get your product right? Your product, I know, includes your service, but your product, I mean the, the raw ingredients, ingredients of your product, you know, like just how do you source that shit? Um, and uh, and I also want to get a sense of how the hell you keep on top of all this because, you know, 28 stores 
and maybe you're going to do one a month. That's another 12 this year. 36 stores is a lot. I know I'm in the franchise business, you know, and keeping my handle on that is very, very difficult. So let's start off in terms of recruiting people. And I want to know which, what do each of you do? Like, what do you, what part do you do and what part do you do? And there's uh, another dude, isn't he? He's yeah, not so, here. yeah, Casper. How do you split it up? Casper's more, um, you know, head of operations. Um, What's that mean? Head of operations. So everything from, you know, the kitchen to managing the managers, like literally the day-to-day operations of Fishbowl. Um, so like in terms of staff, like getting people, uh, like, yeah, in terms of staff, logistics, um, you know, handling the food, getting it to the stores. How does he make sure the logistics are right? In other words, what you mean by that is everything gets delivered to the store on time. Is that what we're talking about? And 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 we are also talking about in in terms of operations, how the staff operate. Uh, yeah, look, all the operations, look, he's young, talented, he's got a really amazing team. Um, he oversees people that hire staff. He oversees people that run the kitchen. He oversees drivers that deliver the goods. Yep. Um, you know, he's probably also the main point of contact with the suppliers who deliver us the goods, uh, make sure that they meet spec, that they're the quality that we're expecting. And like I said, and all, all the way through to, you know, when you walk into the store and order the bowl, the bowl that, you know, you're ordering, um, how do we make sure that, you know, what you think you're getting is exactly what you're getting and how is it going to be the exact same the next time you come back in? And the same for Bondo Darling is to Manly to everywhere. Yeah, so correct, if you yeah. go to any one of your shops, it's going to be the same experience. Yeah. That's the idea, exactly. Yeah. Like, we're not perfect, but, um, you know, well, we've how got... how does he do it? Tell, tell me about it. Like, I mean, that's, that's not that well, we've got a we've got a very, um, you know, we've got a very thorough, um, you say, tr- like, it starts with training. You know, it starts with, actually, it starts with the staff themselves. We don't hire chefs. We don't hire people that necessarily have experience. We just hire people that really give a shit. Yeah. You know, if you give a shit, so how do you you're find passionate. Them? Well, I'll go back to culture. You know, we we just um we have to attract them. We have to appear to be a place that um young, hungry, passionate people that care about food, care about health, care about serving people, um, care about showing people a good time. Uh, it has to be a place that appeals to them. How do you get to those people? I mean, what, how, do how do people, people know people? that you're that person? Well, look, it starts, starts 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 with us. Yeah. You know, it starts with us. Starts with like I said, the kind of um, vibe we give off, uh, you know, we started with us three in the store and, you know, by virtue of having us three in the store, we were able to, um, attract, you know, three more people. And then by virtue of having them in the store, they were able to attract their friends and their friends. And now like, our, our number one stream of like hiring at the moment comes from just staff that we currently have on board. It's their friends. It's their, um, you know, people that know them, um, or, or just people that apply directly through our website. Like they they seek us out. Um, you know, they've either been into the stores, they've had a good experience, they think this looks like a fun place to work, um, you know, and they want to be a part of something that is more exciting than like your typical. Okay. So on your website, you have, are you interested to work for us? Correct. And uh, and people will, will go there. Yeah, soon. a lot every day. We get yeah. tons do, of applications. Do you actually in. invite them or encourage them when they're in the store? Like, I mean, is yeah, there the something? Yeah, the managers know, you know, they know, they know what they're after in terms of hiring and staff, but they can't necessarily... Um, you know, we've got a, a network of stores, so it's not not to say that they're going to hundred percent go into that store. But they managers are super friendly, um, and they're happy. Like I said, they'll direct the you know, whoever's inquiring where to go. Um, and then we've got someone who looks after the hiring and sort of HR. Uh, he'll get in touch. He'll get them in for an interview. Um, put them in for a trial. And like I said, if if the he'll, trial he'll, goes well, he'll work with them. Like so, yeah. so the guy that the guy that's doing the hiring now, we've brought up. Like he started as a mixer. Now he's a manager. Like we we, we like to bring up all of our staff. And let's really grow with us. Yeah. So so he's sort of stepped into the role now of 
you know, hiring, like he's pretty passionate about it. He loves, you know, kind of loves the, the business, what we're about. So he's got a good eye for who will fit in with, with the culture. Um, and he actually will spend a bit of time with them, training them and, you know, making sure that they're set up to succeed. Rather yeah, I'm just, just trying to understand this chain. So, yeah, so he executes for you, but because it's really hard to find good staff in any business, it is. especially growing businesses and competitive businesses. So let's assume you're offering them the same rate of pay that anyone else would be offering them. So that's a, that's a, that's a constant. Um, what you're doing is actually building this environment where people actually want to come work for you as opposed to you trying mm. to find people. Correct. But we yeah. also know that they're here for a, you know, a good time and not necessarily a long time. And the people change, but the processes stay the same. And the processes have to be airtight. And they are, you know, they allow the processes as such and the systems in place in the store are such that, uh, like I said, all you have to do is care um, and, and be willing to learn. Uh, and you come into the store and, and we put it, we, we put you in an environment that actually allows you to make beautiful food quickly. We've got video training manuals that run through everything. Yeah. Well, just watch it. You can't make a mistake. Yeah, just watch it. Yeah, watch, watch the video. It, yeah, watch the video. Deal. It breaks down. I mean, it, it'll spend 10 minutes breaking down how to perfectly apply yeah. uh, shoyu sauce to a, a brown rice. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's very detailed. It's precise. And thorough. Yep. Yeah, and we need it to be that way. We need so, people to understand and for people to feel that intensity that comes with serving a really so good training We have regular training days every single every, week. Every, every two weeks, like we do a training day with all the new or people that we, you know, think are new enough. Yeah. I guess to give, give you a bit of an idea, so like every store has obviously a manager, um, you know, manager, supervisor, then you've got area managers who are looking after, you know, two to five stores. Um, above your area managers will be say like we, we have a, like a state manager um, and then it's sort of, you know, you've got your HR, you've got your customer experience manager um, who would sort of sit off to the side and then it gets up to us. So the, the communication is like constant all day. We've got, you know, group chats going. Like it's, it's more like a just, I guess it's more like a family. There's a really, really close culture where we're always talking with all the managers. Uh, the area managers are always talking with us. They know what we think. They know what we're talking about. They pass that on. Um, so the, the communication channel is like consistent and pretty direct and open from the top to the bottom. Like it's very, very open. And so but, it's, but it's regular and con it's regular. continual. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So like, I mean, I guess for those people listening, what's really important is they've got structure. <laughs> they've got a structure. It's not sort of, um, you know, like, um, military, but it's, it's nonetheless structure that works within, within their culture and they've got. It's manualized, so they do it by video, but it doesn't matter. It's manualized, and it's also updated. So it's regularly updated. In other words, um, yeah. you know, you you're continually. But we, but we do it in person, regularly. Yeah, yeah, personalized. Sure. Yeah, that's yeah. just that's just the added bonus. Yeah, like yeah. go home, watch the video. But it's like we want to see them, we want to talk to them, we want to like like watch them practice and make this food. Like it's not just like watch a video. We put a lot of like heart and soul into everything we're doing. So it's like if you want to work here, turn up. You know, you're you're training with us at eight in the morning for the next two weeks. So that that's how you recruit. That's how you maintain and manage your stuff. That's a big piece, you know. Like um, resources in your business are the people who work in your business. That becomes your the vibe and the whole culture, and that becomes your brand. In terms of your product, I know you got your operations guy source. Uh, what was his name? Um, Casper. He sourced all this stuff. But in terms of your product, just explain the product to me. So. Yeah, we're talking about lion caught fish or is there any of that stuff stuff going on or are we just talking yeah. about fresh fish? What are we talking about? And, and how do you source all this stuff? I mean, do you go down the fish markets where the cost in sort of yeah, look, bearded the markets or what do you do? Back in the day we did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tackle that from two, two angles. For the people that are trying to start a food business or, or whatever it is like that, I mean, 
you you can't like outthink Google. Like just go to Google and look up suppliers. If you need a broccoli supplier, Google broccoli. Like it, it's all there. And that's how we started. You know, it was like, I didn't know anything. I didn't know who who to go to when it came to seafood. I mean, I knew the markets existed. I knew that was a good starting point. Like I knew what we wanted and it was just about going out there and meeting new, like meeting the suppliers, seeing what they could do for us, seeing what they had on offer uh, and then making sure that they could, you know, deliver. Uh, pro- yeah, deliver that consistently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, you want to talk about the the seafood um, and you, you, know, you mentioned Lion Court, Paul Court, uh, all of our tuna, all of our... Um, yeah, our tuna and albacore is all line or line caught yep. um, by Walker's Seafood, mostly in uh, Malulaba. Um, our salmon is Atlantic, it's from Tasmania, uh, from a, one of the smallest producers there, uh, Petuna. What about chicken and meat? I mean, like. So our chicken is free range chicken. Yep. Um, our beef that we use is Rangers Valley brisket. You know, the vegetables that we source are all, you know, locally grown uh, where possible. Like we've visited pretty much. All of our suppliers' farms. Um, so that's an important point to me. Yeah. So do you go, still go visit your local oh, we, yeah, your suppliers? We were there, I should say. Look, we, it's just important to maintain that relationship. Yep. We were out there probably two months ago. Mm. Like you know, and yeah, we were out there about two months ago. We went and visited, amongst others, our kale farm, and it was really cool to see. It was only about an hour out of Sydney, um, just further west, and you know, it was just a really. It was a small farm. You know, um, husband and wife, uh, second generation. And they specialized in growing kale. And it didn't look that big. We actually rocked up to the farm like, this isn't that big. How can they be you know, supplying all this kale? Kale grows And fast. we were talking to them. And they're like, uh, our suppliers were like, they're like, well, you guys actually use about you know, most of this kale. You're using like 70, 75% of this kale. And we were like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, it's really, we didn't think that, you know, showing up to this kale farm, like we just, we expected something a lot bigger. And in fact, it was a lot smaller than we thought. I mean, it was really cool to just, just to like, they actually hadn't had fishbowl. They knew about it through Instagram and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, they were, they were lovely. Like they spent a lot of, um, you know, they put a lot of care and love into, you know, growing what they grow. Um, and it's just, it's really important for us to see. And it's really important for our customers to understand that because it all comes from somewhere. Mm. And we want, no matter what part of the process we're sourcing food from, whether it's like at the farm level or in the store, the biggest thing that matters to us is like, has it been made with care? Has it been made with love? And it's really nice for us to know and be able to like have that experience with farmers to do you be able put to that see. On, do you put that? Do you put that in a part of your story on your social mediums or in your marketing? Do I mean? Do you tell people? Do you show people what you're walking around the cow farm? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, people um, want to know the yeah, provenance of what what they're yeah. eating. I mean, I that's think, a big I, deal. I, th- now. I think there's a bit of a disconnect between like p- people sort of assume like this this product has just popped up in front of them, but yeah. they they don't really know that it comes from the Some earth or where it's actually they, come and from. And they water it and they, yeah. you know, they, they care for it every day yeah, exactly. and pull the weeds out yeah. and they cut it off for you and they pack yeah. it. And it's only, you know, the, the farms are only really an hour away. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of cool to know like, hey, there's stuff in your bowl right there. It actually came from somewhere. And it and that it was that, at that place yesterday, you know, like we, we got it delivered to us, you know, yesterday. We produced it overnight, cleaned it, cut it, everything, and now it's in your bowl. It's funny, you know, because I mean, I, I often – Stop appreciating that. I only appreciated it again the other day because my cousin um, owns a restaurant here in the town, and um, and it's sort of a pretty popular joint. And um, he, uh, I went, I saw him yesterday, and he said to me, "Oh, man, my my friends went out spearfishing, and we and we got these um, uh, mahi mahi, big mahi mahi." And uh, he said, "But what, we got one small one." And he said, "We only come this morning." He said, "And uh, he said, I'll, I'll I'll fill it up for you, and I'll give it to you, you know, like take it home." So he filled it. You know, 
fixed it, sorted all that, took all the bones out of me, and packed it nicely for me, and they just took it over, sent it over to my office. And I cooked it last night. And um, the knowing that him and his friend who goes spear fishing all the time had caught it, that had just been cut up, and me knowing that whole process of how it landed on my plate. Mm. I mean, we hear, you know, field a plate and all that shit. I mean, I, but I actually never really appreciated it, like, again, and I appreciated it. And it actually tasted better. I don't know if it did taste better or not, but it did taste better it, in my own mind yeah. because I had gone through the whole process. I could see the process. And I think that's – I think people love that shit. They're like, if you're there showing, here's the kale that we put in, here's the, you know, everything's been properly caught and uh, respectfully killed and – yeah, you know, nicely packed and uh, perfectly delivered and nicely prepared and you're now eating it. I yeah. think it's that, that understanding of the process we allows that. you to appreciate the product. Yeah. And I, know, I was saying to my godson the other day, he came to my and, and um, I, was, I, was, I had some, some stuff growing in the garden, right, some lettuce, which my dad, the old Greek guy, um, he still picks the seeds out of lettuce at the end. Of, he lets some of his lettuce go to seed, takes the seeds out, dries them out, and then replants them the next season. Yeah. And I always go and get some of the seedlings, you know, like lettuce seedlings. And then I grow them because I know exactly where they came from. And mostly because my dad's made them so, or prepared as it's pretty important to me. So, and I was saying to my godson, I said, uh, go and cut me some lettuce, mate. And, uh, and it also became really important to me that he never really knew how to cut lettuce. You cut lettuce from the bottom so it never actually goes to, to, the, to the flower. And you can actually keep cutting lettuce just about the whole summer. And it, constant supply of lettuce just from one seedling, and um, that whole process of him understanding that became important yeah. to me. Um, and he actually thought it was important because he's never really seen lettuce growing, and he didn't realise it just grows from a little seed. At my parents' place, we actually used to like have kale and pumpkins and all kinds of things growing in the garden. Like it, it's, you know, it's actually in town, but. Um, we used to think that was pretty cool because we used to, you know, just make salads at night time or whatever. And, it's like, cool, eh? Chop it's things so out cool. of the garden. You know, yeah, it just um, makes you feel something about, I don't know, it's not, probably no healthier than lettuce you buy from Woolies or whatever. It doesn't matter. But there's something about it you know about where it came from. And uh, yeah. so I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm sort of I'm getting a bit sort of weird on this, but I mean, it's important what you just said to me about going out one hour out to the kale farm or you guys, you probably go and meet all the suppliers over time. That's something I would. Maybe I'm an older generation, but I mean, that's something I'm really interested in if I was looking at your social in terms of why I would go to Fish Bowl and or the or Fish Shop to buy my item, apart from it being tasty and right price and available and all that sort of stuff and friendly people when I get in the shop, apart from all that. Um, they're things that, by the way, I would take for granted. But one of the things that's really important to me is just knowing that you care about it, that you guys make an effort to know about it and understand it and then. Uh, pass that forward to me. Um, how important is that to you in terms of your marketing? Because I want What's to talk the most about marketing. Important? We're intensely dedicated to what we do at Fishbowl, hmm. whether it's the food, whether it's sourcing, whether it's staffing, whether it's marketing. You know, if you know, whether we community engagement, like we don't just we don't just half ass things. We don't just willy nilly go into them and hope that they happen. Uh, we really put our backs into it. So, what do you two do? Because I I didn't get to that because the other guy's uh, who's not here, Casper, he's like a ghost, a friendly yep. ghost. Um, <laughs> What yeah, do you I guess do? I guess um, what do you two sort of more like marketing, branding, um, and, and Nathan, managing director. Yeah, yeah. So you're sort of seeing above it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, strategy, strategizing, yeah. and over making sure it all works. So when you say you're intensely involved, 
I mean, I I take that as a given, to be frank with you, as because you're proprietors and you know you're you're the ones that are going to benefit the most at the end of the day. But you're intensely involved. Are you are you intensely involved in telling people that you're intensely involved? Tell me about your social medium or mediums. Uh, where you're playing and uh, you know what's your theme? Like you know, Insta. You probably don't use Facebook. Well, let's say Facebook. I don't know what you. Yeah, use. We, we use Facebook. So yeah. we we pretty much like. Uh, Instagram and Facebook, which are obviously linked now. Yeah. Uh, there are there are main like social media channels, obviously. Yep. Um, but I would say one of the biggest like avenues that you know we're kind of going down, uh, like Facebook ads is a big one. Yep. Because you you can only really go so far with organic reach. Yep. Um, so you're boosting you're boosting your presence. yeah we boost we yep. do but we do targeted ads yeah yeah um yeah. so we do like specific targeted so ads. so do you so profile do you profile your customers and then um clone them off and go to Facebook and or Instagram well, find them for me yeah, yeah yeah so we've got all of our custom you know we've got a lot of um data but to be honest you don't want to just rely on that because you want to attract new customers mm. so and Facebook's actually quite good at working out you know the lookalikes and people similar to your to your customer base mm. so um you know say we're trying to push an online store. Uh, we can run ads, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, and we can have direct click-throughs and we can see the success of those ads. Um, so, yeah, I would say Facebook Facebook ads for us is a, is a good one. Um, just gives you that little edge over the organic. Um, I mean, for look, for us, like we're a pretty lean, small team. So I think yeah, the yeah. way to go is just just pick, pick one, or, one or two channels yeah, yeah, yeah. and just get them right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we don't have a massive room of staff just going, all right, let's come up with ideas and approve Google. Yeah. Like we just move quick. Um, we shoot ideas across the table. We can execute pretty quickly, and if it if it fails, we'll, we'll scrap it quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think that's one of the, the benefits to you know fishbowl where we're at the size. You know how we operate is we can like move quick, learn quick, um, and you know double down on the things that work. Okay, can I just uh, where to from here? So what do you want to do in relation to your business? So what's your what's your plan for say the next twelve months? Because you know, it's beginning. Yeah, look, of next twelve months is uh, to keep growing more um, stores. Yeah, mostly we've got a pipeline of stores that we'll be opening. Um, our focus is going to be largely on Melbourne. Uh, we've obviously got Fish Shop, which is opening um, this week. Uh, yeah, so look, in terms of like physical footprint, it's let's just keep, um, like I said, we've got a pipeline of stores. Let's get through that. Uh, you know, let's continue to find good locations. Let's continue to find good sites, learn from the ones in the past, um, continue to build out the brand. Um, we, we, we feel like we're only just kind of like getting started. Yep. And I know every year we feel the same, but like it really feels like we're just getting started. That's a good got thing. an amazing team. Like we've just, we, we've got a great sort of structure now where there's a lot of accountability. Um, the culture is stronger than ever. Like everyone loves being there. Um, you know, so we, we've got a really good feeling about where we're at. So it does feel like we're just kicking off. So we're going to like work, you know, hopefully put in eight to 10 stores in the next 12 months. Um, and then, you know, by... By that point, hopefully, again, it'll feel like we're just getting started. So what, what, what's the end game? So, like, I mean, I always say to people, if you're going into a business startup, um, make sure you know what your exit is before you start because, I mean, it's a bit like getting a relationship, you know, like uh, things go for great for a number of years and then you reach saturation point and you've got to work out, well, am I going to stay here or am I going to, do I need to go somewhere else? You know, are you getting enough out of it? I mean, what, you're only young. So we'll you've got plenty yeah. of time. We'll get plenty of time. But we'll continue to make Fishwell better as we grow. Yeah. Um, you know, you speak of an exit. We don't have an exit plan. We just know that there are certain milestones that we want to get to, that we want to achieve. Um, and if we can con- continue to get to those points the right way, we're going to have good options in front of us. You know, we're going to have options to say, hey, we're at 50 stores. Um, is, you know, can we do another 50? Are we the right people? Have we got the right people? Have we got the right product? Um, but the point is we just want to get to those milestones in the best way possible. 
uh, and like I said, give ourselves good options at that point. I guess what you're saying is you're, you're building for the future. You're not actually trying to determine the future. So you're sort of saying, let's get as many stores under our belt as possible. And if, if someone comes along and knocks on the door and says, listen, I'd like to invest in your business and here's a big check for a part investment or a whole, a whole ownership, that's something you would consider. Well, we've had a lot of people do that. Like it's been uh, since, it's probably too early now, since, day, since day one, we've had all kinds of offices, people, individuals knocking on our door asking to, you know, off, giving us you know, money. It's, it's like, we build a business that hasn't needed external funding. Mm. We build a business the way we've, you know, ideally love to build the business. Um, and that's been by design. You know, we wanted to do things like this. We've tried to create a life for ourselves through Fishbowl and we've been able to do that. And like I said, part of our um, growth plans, like I said, if we can, if the right partner comes along and um, it's something that we, we feel like can really add value to us and not just money, there's plenty yeah. of money around. Um, but someone who can just, like I said, philosophically, they're aligned with us. Um, strategically, they're aligned with us. Um, and they're guys that, you know, we want to celebrate our successes with. We want to go through good times and bad times. They're people that we think are going to help us through both of those times. Um, you know, well, then we're open to that. But like I said, we're just, um, we're just focused on our product, our brand, uh, and just making sure that we get better as we grow. Okay. We're out of time. I could talk to you for ages, but, um, you guys got a question for me. If you could offer one piece of advice to, you know, whether it's a school leaver or union leaver that wanted to go out on their own and start their own business, what would it be? One piece of advice. It just left school. In your 20s, kind of like 20s. us. If you could go back to our age. And you're trying to start a business? Or just, just life in general. Like what's, you know, there's a lot, like I think a lot of people in their 20s, maybe they have the. the don't be in a hurry. They have the angst, the worries, you no, know. Don't be in a hurry. Yeah. Do what you're doing. Just, uh, just cruise through. Because as you say, there's. People, a lot of a lot of young younger people, they're in a hurry to sell, make a big whole lot of money, go and buy you know house. Or they do want to be sort of rich and famous. Uh, that that sounds a bit surfacey, but like sort of rich and famous in a, in a deeper way. You know, make a lot of money, become well recognised yeah. in their community or in our community, and um and be respected and highly regarded. I don't think that's important. I think right now it's better to stay in the weeds, which what you're doing. Be able to push yourself above the weeds, but stay in the weeds, and be patient about what you're building. So be confident about what you're doing and be patient with what you're building. As you said earlier, I think they said there's plenty of money around. The money will find you. Money has a way, liquidity has a way of finding a place. It's called liquidity for a reason, like water. It finds its point every time. And if you've got the right asset, the money will find you. And it'll find you at the right time as well when, you, when it's the right time for you to get out. You don't need to go out chasing that. You just need to stick to your guns, stay in the weeds, keep building, building, building. Like you're in the, to me, you're not in your summer or you're not even in your spring. You're in the winter. And the winter is about building everything below the ground, making sure that the soil's good. It's not to worry about the fruit on top and the leaves. Yeah. That's not important at the moment. Right now what's important is building out, making sure the roots are good and you're in good soil and all your foundations are good. We use that metaphor every winter Do with you? our staff, by the way. That seems to be what you're we, doing anyway. This is when we earn the customers. This is when we, we, go, we can go deeper with them. This yeah, is totally. when we can, yeah. And I think that's, that would be my advice, Nick, to, to anybody who was asking me what would my advice be. Don't be in a hurry. If you've got a good concept, if you've got a shit concept and you're in a hurry, that's usually because you've got a shit concept and you need to get out quick. Yeah. You're trying to nail someone. That, that's not, to me, that's not a sustainable product or, and or undertaking. You should look for something that allows you to stay with it and grow with it. And, and, and part of everything, you know, like everyone says, my mom bought his money when he sold Wizard. Okay. 
that was the best part of it. The best part of it was actually watching it grow and being part of it and thinking, especially today, I can think back what I did, you know, how people grew with me and like, and I was much younger than I sort of was like, not your age, but 10 years older than you. But I was, you know, I was young enough to experience un- unbelievable outcomes for other people around me. And uh, right from the sourcing my product, which is money in those days, through to making sure that the branch was selling it the way I wanted to sell it. And um, that's the best part of being in business. That's just the most unbelievable experience. You talk, use the word love. I mean, I'd probably put it another way, just care. Um, everybody mm. in my business cared. And that's the thing you want to experience. You don't want to be in a hurry with that. And uh, so don't be in a hurry. Just be patient. If you've got the right, out- you've got the right product, you get the right outcome sooner or later. And if, if no one buys you out, so what? You've, you've built a good business, you can make good money, and you're happy anyway. Mm. That's a great place to be. So be patient and be happy to be in control of what you're doing. Don't be looking. Sometimes you've you got to be careful what you wish for. These people go into these businesses, oh, I'm going to make a whole lot of money, I'm going to sell it to, you know, the next hedge fund or the next, you know, managed fund who's trying to buy all the foodies out, which, you know, we see that happen around here quite a bit. Um, a lot of those people, when they sell it, they have sell-back positions where they have to buy it back because it hasn't performed the way it should buy, perform. Mm. And I would say to you today, I wish I'd never sold the wizard business in hindsight. I wish I still owned it because uh, I know there's a whole lot of reason why I sold it. But um, in hindsight, I wish I hadn't sold it because I, today it would be worth, relatively speaking, a lot more, but it'd be a much easier business to run for me because, you know, and I loved, actually loved that business and I loved the people in it and you can never recreate that. That would never be recreated. And uh, so be happy with it and don't be in hurry. We are. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I'm glad to hear that's your outcome. That's what you want to do. Thanks very much, Nathan, Nick. Wonderful. And when, 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 when Fish Shop opens, I will definitely, it's open this weekend. Yeah, yeah I'll, 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 I'll cruise in. I'll, I'll try it out and get some, get some, it's takeaway, isn't it? It's all it's, dining so sitting takeaway. Too, it's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Park, all dining yeah, takeaway. Yeah. It's a great little spot there, that, yeah, that yeah. park down there. I mean, anyone who's listening, you know, like if you hang out in Bondi, there's a place, there's a Seven spot. Ways. What's it called? Seven Ways. Seven Ways, yeah. Um, and and uh, there's great little coffee shops, cafes and little restaurants and Fish Shop is just in the new building there. But in front of the building there's a park, like a small park. But it's pretty cool. It's actually very cool if you live in that building, by the way. Um, and um, give it a crack. See you guys. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.